Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Well, let's take a look at Romans chapter 1. We are going to read from verse 18 again today. We are in a series right now uh, in this section of Romans in chapter 1. This will be part 2 of why we need salvation. And if we go back to the first three verses, Paul tells the church at Rome in verse 15, chapter 1, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We spent four sermons, I believe, uh, on that passage, just 16 and 17. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm coming to Rome. I know there are a lot of intellectual types there. I know you're kind of the commerce center and all of that. Big universities on every corner maybe. I don't know. But he says, I I want you to know when I get to town, I will not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And then he breaks the next part down into two sections. In Romans 1, 18 through 32, and that's where we are now, he is going to teach us that the Gentiles need the gospel. And this is why. And then he starts in chapter 2, verse 1, and goes all the way through chapter 3, verse 8, teaching us why the Jews also need the gospel And then he just puts a bow on it all in Romans 3.23. We've quoted it many times, perhaps without consideration for the context, but he said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So let's take a look at what he says to the Gentiles. He says, the Gentiles need the gospel. Paul was called to the Gentiles. He was a He was a minister to the Gentiles. That was his target audience. He spends time dealing with the Jews, but his target is the Gentiles. For the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. That word wrath is orge. It is a word that does not mean God lost his temper. No, it means contemplative wrath. I thought about it a long time. It seethed inside of me. I didn't lose control of my emotions. It is a righteous wrath. It is a wrath that me personally and you personally, we have no right to. But God does because he is a holy God. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress The truth in unrighteousness. They suppress it. They hold it down. The word revealed, the same word that we've already looked at, his righteousness was revealed in the gospel. Apocalypto is a word meaning I reveal. 
we sometimes think of apocalypse more so because of Hollywood is, boy, woo, that's bad. The apocalypse has come. But the word apocalypse, apo is a preposition that means from, and calypso is a word that means cover. And the best word picture I could give you of it is if you had done a statue and, and you were about to uh, present it to a museum, you would pull away the veil, apo, from, and you pull the calypso away. It is a revealing. So the book of the Revelation in our Bible is really the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that does make it somewhat terrifying. If you were going to just reveal me, that might be somewhat uh, 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 hilarious. Uh, nothing to worry about there. But if you really are going to get an awesome look at God, if God says, I'm going to pull the veil away, I am finally going to let you see what your world and your sinfulness and your soul and your need and my love for you and what I'm offering you, I am going to pull the veil away and show you what it looks like from a heavenly perspective. I hate it when I see old English versions of the Bible that says this is the revelation of St. John the Divine. That is a title added much later. It's not a revelation of John. I know it's not what they mean, but verse 19, but because that which is known about God, it's evident within them for God made it evident to them. All people know right from wrong, friend. We, we understand that they, even no matter where we find them. That which is, can be known about God is known. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world has invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, not just seen, but clearly seen, and not just seen, but understood, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. One quick word. He does not hold them accountable for what they don't know. He holds them accountable for what they do know. What they did know and did nothing about. Ever how small or simple that might have been. He said, I gave them an opportunity to respond. He said, they didn't. He says, actually, professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, that is so important. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passage, uh, 
passions. For this reason. Now, what reason? Because they knew God and they did not honor him as God and they did not show the gratitude they needed to to God. This is why all of the rest of this takes place. This is why it all takes place. If you want to nail it down to one thing, what is the terrible thing that they did in Romans chapter 1? Most people would go, oh, that's where it talks about homosexuality and reprobate minds and all of that. No, they knew God and they did not honor him as God. And God says, I got a real problem with that. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desires toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved, sometimes we translate it reprobate mind. Dokimos is a word that means value. Ah, dokimos, the negating particle, okay? That's the little A in front of it. It negates it. It means that it is without value. Their minds are worthless. Depraved. Sometimes we translate it reprobate. Probate means value. Reprobate means to retreat from value, to go back away from value. He said they had depraved minds to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all un righteousness here's the list wickedness greed evil full of envy murder strife and deceit malice they are gossips slanderers haters of god insolent arrogant boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents made the list without understanding untrustworthy unloving Astergo is a word. Stergo doesn't occur in the New Testament. Stergo is a fourth kind of love. We have phileo, eros, agape. Stergo is a family kind of love. Astergo here means that the people they should love, they don't even love them. The people they ought to love, their own families, they don't even give a rip about them. They're so buried in their self-centeredness. They don't even care about their family unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the command or ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same things, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Bless the reading of your word, Lord. C.S. Lewis in his book, written 1940, I think, His book entitled, The Problem of Pain, he says the lost says enjoy, or he says that the lost people enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. That's a great way to, to, to describe our world. We have demanded freedom and I can tell you not by the grace of God 
but by the judgment of God, we have received the freedom we asked for. We wanted to be free to do whatever it is we want to do. And we didn't feel it's almost like a ride at Carowinds that kind of starts out slow. Uh, I've not been there in a while. I don't know if they have them that start slow. But, but it, it, get, it builds. And boy, it, it, it gets tough. And uh, later, you know. And, and it's almost like we didn't notice the spiral, the downward spiral especially here in America. It was really all over Europe before here, but that freedom, just freedom for everything. If I'm born male, I, don't, I may not want to be male. I may want to be female or whatever. That is, and the only reason I mentioned that, it, that is just like the epitome of I will not be told what to do. I will not be restrained. I want total Freedom, not to do what I should do, that's the classical definition of freedom, but to do whatever it is I want to do. C.S. Lewis says, our world is like it is in 1940, because by the wrath of God, he granted us our freedom. Inside the sermon handout that you have, you can look there later, we'll put them on the screen, but... uh, I want to share with you something. We're not in a hurry. We won't finish this outline today. I already know that, but that's okay. I told you last week I've been set free from the tyranny of the urgent. I've been exercised of that demon. He left. He left in a hurry, too. Had somewhere he had to be. That just came to me. It's amazing. The empty self, J.P. Moreland in his book, Loving God with All Your Mind, he's one of my favorite authors of all time. I read, uh, try to read everything that he writes and and wait for more. J.P. Moreland is a professor of ethics and theology at the Talbot School of Theology in uh, 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 Biola University, I believe it is. In his book, Loving God with All Your Mind, I thought this was at least worthy of putting in your hand. I just did some bread and butter notes from some of the things he says about seven traits of the empty self. Let's just look at them. We'll put them on the screen. The empty self is inordinately individualistic. Boy, our world today, there's nothing worshipped like the individual. Individualism is a religion, and I will tell you now, it is worshiped, sacrifices made, I can tell you. Uh, Self is the first order of reasoning. J.P. Moreland said that he illustrated it this way, I, I didn't put it in here, but he said, I went to a D.A.R.E. program, remember the anti-drug program, I don't know if it's still going or not, but it was in the schools, and all these kids were asked to stand up at the program one night and give the reason they don't do drugs, and he said, I leaned over and told the person beside me, he said, I'll guarantee you, I can tell you how nine of ten of them will describe why they don't do drugs. He says, I don't do drugs because they're bad for me. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but he says there was no mention of virtue or for the sake of my family or because of community 
or a word about God. It's about me. It, it, that may sound like an innocent example, but he goes on, the empty self is infantile. The empty self needs instant gratification, comfort, soothing validation. Many infantile cravings and uh, constantly seeks to be filled up with, uh, uh, with food or entertainment or consumer goods. Preoccupation with sex, physical appearance, the body image, and tends to live by feelings and experiences. Pleasure is all that matters, and it better be immediate. Boredom is the greatest evil. Amusement, the greatest good. The empty self is narcissistic. That means very self-centered. The empty self evaluates the local church, the right books to read, and the other religious practices worthy of his or her time on the basis of how they further his or her own agenda. It, it, it's all about me. It's all about whatever it is I want to do. I, I made a post recently about deconstructionism, and I think a lot of people misunderstand what deconstructionism means. Deconstructionism in the postmodern mind means that when I read something, it doesn't matter what the original intent of the author was. It only matters what it means to me. I know we did it innocently, but we used to start too many Bible studies in our churches by reading a verse and going, what did that mean to you? Who cares what it meant to you? What does the verse mean? What did God mean by the verse? And deconstructionism, and it's very popular today, whether they're reading Shakespeare or whatever it might be, it's not what he said and what he meant by what he said, but deconstructionism is, I want to know what it means to me because in the end, that is all that's going to matter. And I can tell you, people read the Bible that way. They read the Bible that way. It's what it means to me. You hear people today in our postmodern or post-Christian society, they'll criticize God. I'll tell you, there's some things about God I, I, I don't like. I, 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 the way he killed those Canaanites and just wiped them off the face of the earth. And that very same person will rather ignorantly say, you know, my problem with God sometimes too is he doesn't do anything about wickedness. Well, which is it? You're caught up in a web of self, friend. You can't figure out what you want it to mean to you now. Uh, the Christian narcissist, I didn't put this in, but it's like the Copernican revolution. Copernicus discovered that the earth was not the center of the solar system. And when people discover that in Christianity, you are not the center of the world, a lot of folks are done at that point. They either leave it all together, or worse, they adapt a form of it that's more user-friendly for them and their needs. Number four, the empty self is passive. Passive people do not live their 
or do not have their own lives, so they must live vicariously through the lives of others. And celebrities become the codependent enablers of a passive lifestyle. And here's what he means by that. The very idea of a Christian celebrity is an oxymoron, but for the passive empty self, it is the spiritual life support system. Sports teams and actresses and actors and movie stars, they do all their winning and all their sacrificing for them. They, they don't sacrifice. They're undisciplined. They don't care. All of their winning is done by their favorite sports figures. And you just look at how we have so celebrated individuals because they can put a ball through a hoop or throw a football 50 yards or whatever it may be. We have made gods out of these people. And I don't even mean that figuratively. We have made gods out of these people it's incredible we live our lives through other people I I've asked a question for years it's not that deep theologically but perhaps you can help me don't don't not not now but you can come see me about it Who are the Kardashians? I like that answer. Well, I don't know if I should care. Did they invent something? I've asked people, are they singers? Well, no. I've never seen a movie with a Kardashian in it. Now, there may be tons of them, and you may have seen them. I don't know. I don't know what they do. I'm not trying to put them down. I just hadn't figured the people out yet. They're on every time you open the computer and you go on social media or some kind of news website, the Kardashians have done something. Somebody's getting divorced. Somebody's getting married. Somebody's getting killed. Somebody's getting fat. I know, who cares? A lot of people. That's the answer to that. There are people that live their life vicariously. In other words, they don't have a life. Their favorite sports team, quarterback, center for the whoever, actress, singer, whatever. The empty self, number five, is sensate. In other words, what does it do for me? That's what I want to know. When they go to visit a church, it's, well, what do they have for me? What do they have for my kids? What do they have for my age group? What kind of programs do you have? Do you have classes for, uh, for me and my group or whatever or my thinking? Uh, it's not just that. It's all of life is that way. Ideas like God's soul, values, purposes, they mean very little to the empty Self, because they don't seem to have any kind of real value for them. Number six, the empty self has lost the art of developing an interior life. And this is what he means. We're going to talk about this some Wednesday, men. The self used to be defined in terms of internal traits of virtue and morality. And the successful person, the person of honor and reputation, was the person with deep character. Now it's all about appearance, possessions of consumer goods. We have sacrificed the inner life for the good life. One of the worst things people do, they pick up a book. If it doesn't have pictures in it, they lay it down. 
We are so visual. The television. Do you know what eternity is? Eternity is that one half a second delay between the commercial and the game coming back on. That's how long it takes somebody in the room to go, what happened? Oh, there it is. We can't stand it. It's got to be instant. Last of all, and it's so important, the empty stuff is hurried and busy. Hurried and busy. Deep emotional emptiness and hunger. And because it has devised inadequate strategies to fill that emptiness, they live at a frenzied pace of life. This emerges to keep the pain and the emptiness suppressed. I got to have my earbuds in. I got to have my tunes, man. I got to. I got to have my stuff. I. I. I, I got to have my my friends. I. I I've got to have my social media. I got to check my likes right quick. See how all that's going. Get a little dopamine rush from all of that. Got to have it. One must jump from one activity to another and not be exposed to quiet for very long or the emptiness will become apparent. It's terrible. Such a lifestyle creates a deep sense of fatigue in which passivity takes over. And fatigue people either do not have the energy to read or study or do other things like that. But if they do... They choose undemanding material. Philip Cushman, I'll just give you a quote from him. He wrote a book entitled Constructing the Self, Constructing America. Uh, he was a psychotherapist for many, many years. He said, the empty self is filled with consumer goods, calories, experiences, politicians, romantic partners, and empathetic therapists. The empty self experiences a significant absence of community, tradition and shared meaning, a lack of personal conviction and worth, and it embodies the absences as a chronic, undifferentiated emotional hunger. Why don't we have conviction? Well, we're empty. That's why we can look at somebody and say, hey, whatever you want to do with your life is cool with me. And we feel so good about that. It is almost like a hit of cocaine for some, one, uh, some people, the, the, the empty self sort of person to be able to say, I don't, I don't, judge, I don't ju judge anybody. And then I'll turn right around and go, and you shouldn't judge. See, you just judge me. You just made a judgment. You decided something was wrong, and you told me not to do it. See how impossible it is to live in that world? But boy, there are people that they just, oh. I mean to tell you, friend, it is a high like none other to be able to say, I have gay friends, and I just love them, and I would never tell them they're wrong. And I got a friend of mine that he's doing drugs, but I don't think people ought to condemn him for it or whatever. I'm not talking about condemning anybody. I'm talking about having convictions and a sense of what is right and what is wrong. And if you feel good about yourself because you've prostituted your friend to make you feel like a well-informed liberal, because you don't ever judge them, I want to tell you, that's about you. 
And it has nothing to do with the person you're letting rot. You're actually getting a feeling from being so open-minded. And somewhere along the way, your brain fell out. No conviction. Sad. Well, we would probably be here eight years. So let's look at the text. Why do we need the gospel? I want us to concentrate on this first point. May not even get to the second. Why do we as Gentiles need the gospel? He'll outline it for us here. First of all, the rebellion, we have demonstrated two problems in our rebellion. We did not give God the glory that he deserves. Verse 21, even though they knew him as God. No, they knew him as God. There was a time, it wasn't, you know, well, I don't understand God. No, they knew him as God, but they did not honor him as God. And just as they did not see fit, see, that's the thing, they didn't see fit. It was up to them, they thought. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Not judge for what they didn't know, but judge for what they did know. So here is a problem. Worthless worship. Worthless worship is the whole issue in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. That is the whole issue. You knew me as God, but you did not honor me as God. Let's look at the word honor in the Hebrew is kabod. And kabod is a word that means weight. Remember Hebrew people didn't think much in the abstract. They thought more in the literal sense. So honor and glory for them, kafod, is a word that means weight. So when they picked up a coin, as a matter of fact, it was this way in Israel's culture until they came out of Babylonian captivity. A coin, because it was stamped with something, meant nothing. What does it weigh? The weight of the coin determined how much it was worth. What does it weigh? That determines the honor that coin is given. And it is the same way with God. What does God weigh? How much weight does he have in our lives? How, how, how meaningful is he to me? How much value does he really have? And he said for the Gentiles, what happened to us was God didn't carry very much weight. And we started worshiping the creation. Oh, we love things we can touch and, and feel and see. You remember when the uh, children of Israel left Egypt and Moses went up on the mountain that while he left them behind, what did they do? Well, we got a God on the mountain that we can't see. Matter of fact, we're too scared to look at him. He told us not to even touch the mountain. He said, even if an animal touches this mountain while I'm on it, it'll die. We want a God that's more user-friendly than that, do we not? I'm telling you, I was at the meeting. <laughs> oh, yeah, we need us a God. We can, and you know what they did? They made him a golden calf. Now, where did they get the idea about cows? Well, the Egyptians worshiped cows. So they thought, well, let's make us a God. And they put all their jewelry together and all that stuff, and they melted it all down. They brought the most precious things they had in life and sacrificed them to their God. That's called worship. And, of course, Aaron's excuse for it was a classic. Basically, he told Moses when he came down and he said, Aaron, 
In Hebrew, he said, have you lost your mind? Yeah, I ought to, to translate it for you. It's in a hippel mood, but, or tense. Yeah. Aaron looked at Moses and said, well, we threw all our jewelry in the fire and the calf jumped out. Moses was like, oh, I didn't know that. That makes sense. I can tell you, we do the same thing nowadays. We take our time, our valuables, our mind, our thoughts, our desires. We just pile them all together. And whatever jumps out, that's what we worship. That's who we date, young people. That's the friends we hang out with. Those were the ones that jumped out. That's why I'm marrying this really cool dude. Because when I put all my eggs in one basket, he jumped out. And mom and dad are in therapy, but I'm going to marry him. And, and we're going to have a cool life. <laughs> I got news for you, friend. Better think more about that. I'm so glad the youth are here today. I, I'm... Man, I love seeing you here. I would love to spend some time with you guys talking about how do we determine what is right and wrong in life? What is our, what, what is our measurement for what is good and what is bad and all of that? Love to do that sometimes with you one-on-one. -on -one. Love, love to do it. But worthless worship. Between the creator and the created, I want to tell you there's an infinite gulf of worth. God is a creator. And we're to worship the creator, not the created. We like to worship what we can see and what we can feel and what can do something for us at that very moment. That's what we want. It's God in heaven that we pray to. My goodness. You know, when's he going to show up? Well, look in the Old Testament. He showed up a lot there. I mean, he was... Boy, he was a cloud in the day and a fire at night and all of that. And right in the middle of all of that, religious people just like us, they were as fickle as we are. That's not the answer. It's glorifying God. Let me read you a passage before we move to the second point. Worthless worship in the Old Testament is probably best described in Malachi 1. In verse 7 and 8, I'll read the two verses. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. We didn't say that. Malachi said, yeah, you did. Not with your mouth, but with your worship. Your worship said the table of the Lord doesn't really count for much. Verse 8, but when you present, when you bring an animal to be sacrificed and the animal is blind, it was one you were going to get rid of anyway. The poor fool couldn't even find the feed trough. You brought that to the temple to sacrifice. You brought stuff you could do without. You're maybe go to church. Maybe you're here this morning because you had some time that you didn't need to use for something 
else? Is that why you're here? That's a good question. I'm not trying to pick on you, and I'm glad you're here. But maybe you put money, you'll put money in the bag today, later, because there's some extra money after the bills are paid and, and, and finally got that uh, condo, Lord have mercy, you had to redo it, you know, uh, and, and the new car payment and all that. We, when you bring things to God that you figured that you can do without because they're either defective or not needed in your life. You despise the table of the Lord. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil, Malachi asked? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? You bring an animal in here with three legs? What in the world is wrong with you? And why not offer it? Oh, Malachi wouldn't make it far in our world today. He's too sarcastic. He's a smart aleck. Man, alive. Can't imagine being like that. He says, why not offer it to your governor? Why don't you send what you give to the church to the IRS and tell them, hey, that's all I can spare. Tell them this, because this is what we tell churches a lot. Y'all got more money than I do. I bet they'll leave you alone. All 87,000 of those new IRS agents will be at your house. Wow. Malachi asked, would he be pleased with you? Would the governor say, that's fine? Or would you, would he receive you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts, if you did those kinds of things. They knew God, but they didn't give him the glory he deserved. Secondly, and we'll close with this point today. We did not give God the gratitude he deserves. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile, worthless in their speculations. Let me give you an example of a worthless speculation. Even though we love our children more than our own lives, when your two-year-old, I'm trying to figure out when they start talking, I guess they're talking then, tells you because you didn't stop and get them fries at McDonald's that they don't love, you don't love me. Do you call me up in the middle of the night and say, Pastor Mike, can we meet right now? My child thinks I don't love him. be all right. I'll give Dr. Beasley a call and I'll have you meet him. Because <laughs> if you're putting that much stake in a two-year-old, you didn't get, they didn't get fried. I mean, tell, tell me this again now. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not fully awake. You were upset because your child says you don't love me because you didn't buy me fries. Now, I tell Loretta that sometime, but I'm a grown man. And I'm way more of an expert on fries than a two-year-old. That speculation is worthless. You just hold them and pat them. Oh, mama does love you. Now, if you were a grandparent, you pull into McDonald's. Oh, yeah. And then when they're just bloated and couldn't eat a bite of real supper, you take them by the 
parents' house and drop them off. I'm telling you, grandchildren are the reward for not killing your own children. I can just tell you. That's a futile speculation. You know that's worthless. That child one day will grow up and know better. A lot of our world hasn't grown up yet. He said, you didn't honor or give him thanks, which became futile in your speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They were willing to use, we were as Gentiles willing to use the gift of God, gifts of God, but we failed to render gratitude for those gifts. You know, there's a thing we call common grace. It's described by Jesus in Matthew 5, 45, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are some things that God just, it's a common grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it, neither the righteous nor the unrighteous, but he causes that. And here's the deal. We should be thankful for that. But per our constitution as human beings, God created us to worship something. And so if we don't feel gratitude to God and recognize that He is the reason for everything in my life that's worth a dime, everything that matters in life, really, everything that truly matters in life. As a matter of fact, let, just think about this for a minute. Let it soak in. The only thing that you can say, I know for certain that I will have this time tomorrow, is my relationship with God, if you have one. That's all. You say, well, I'll have my husband. You, you don't have that guarantee. He may not be here. I'll have my wife, my kids. You don't know that. You don't know that. When I worked for the power company, was a guy that worked for the phone company at the same time. He went to Carswell Baptist Church. Didn't go to church with him, but I knew him. Our families knew each other. While he was at work one day with the phone company, we all heard the word a dump truck, I think, or a concrete truck, big truck had run a stop sign. His wife and one daughter was already gone. By the next day, his other daughter would be gone. And I remember riding by Carswell Church and seeing three piles of fresh dirt. I can't imagine that. I can't wrap my mind around it. This world is that uncertain. So give gratitude to God for that that really matters. We can worship all kinds of things. We're made to worship something. But our worship belongs to God. Some people I know worship their doubts. Really. They're like, if you were as intellectually astute as I am, Pastor Mike, you would, you'd have these same kinds of questions, these same kind of doubts. I have doubts. I have things that I wonder about. There's tons of things that I do not fully understand, but I, that's when I just have to put my faith and trust in God. 
And that's easy to say, but boy, sometimes that is hard to do. But I think some people, they quit being worshipers and they became philosophers and they feel like, well, you know, I, I've got a little different understanding of God. That's why I don't come anymore to Cornerstone, Pastor Mike, because I just, I see things differently and, uh, and I'd love to talk to you about it sometime. We don't seem to ever get around to that, but... They worship what they don't know because they're so proud they don't know it. They're so proud of their intellectual curiosity. We did notice when we read the text last week that in that list of gods and things they worshiped, the first thing on the list was themselves. They worshiped man. They worshipped who they were. Maybe you're sitting here today, and I, 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 don't, I don't know your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life or any of that. But Boy, this is a great passage for us to look at. I think we have many in our churches who have empty selves. It may mean that you have a relationship with God that you've neglected far too long. It may mean that you really don't have one. I don't know. I have no idea about you. But I would simply say this. Don't let church coming here and worshiping God, don't let it just be another thing like going to the gym and yoga class and and and. Uh, the palates, pelates, whatever. I got to get up to date on all those words. I don't know. The Zen, Christian Zen. Maybe you're attending one of those. Love to hear about it. Don't don't add this to that list. Don't see this as a. It's just another thing I do to kind of keep me going. Man, if you could get you out of the center of the universe and put God there and say, God, I don't live for me anymore. I live for you. I live for you. And maybe you're thinking that, boy, that sounds awful boring. Boy, I wish you could hear some of the testimonies in this building right now of people that used to worship themselves. How did that go for you? Horrible, was it not? When you were the center of your world, David Cooper, how was it? Terrible. Some of you are scared to death now. He's going to call on me. But you could testify to it. I hear people say all the time, you know, well, I want to have some fun before I get all serious about God. Have you seen how much fun cocaine addicts have? And talking about the church wanting money every time you go, how about that dealer? Well, when he takes an offering, he gets it, does he not? <laughs> I'm just telling you, waking up in your own vomit on the street is not fun. And you say, well, that's not where I am. I, I, I will tell you this. If you keep worshiping yourself, you may never do drugs. You may live in some sophisticated uh, uh nice uh, home in a gated community one day, but you will still be just as empty inside. 
Go back to those celebrities. How many of them in the last 12 months died because they killed themselves? Intentionally put a gun in their mouth. Empty. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you, Lord, for reaching down to us. God, we know without a doubt you gave us this word today. And so, Lord, we know that whoever's here, whoever heard these words, God, you've not given up on them. You've not turned your back away. You reached out to them today, God. I pray they'd understand that, Lord. I pray we would all realize that you reached out to us today with a word from you. You gave us an opportunity to re-examine our lives, wherever we are in our walk with you. And for those that may not have a walk, God, I pray that they would understand and know that even though they don't know you, you know them, Lord. And and you, you brought them here today, and you spoke a word to them. I pray it would be so evident, God. I pray it would be so evident. I pray that they've heard a word from you. We give ourselves to you now, Lord. Be the center of our week. Be the center of our universe, God. We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.